We're combining all the best old school wisdom with all the top new school methods to bring you the optimal way to coach and play the great game of baseball. This is the 80-20 Baseball Masterclass with Coach Bo. Welcome coaches, players, parents of players. I am Coach Bo. Thank you for being here. Let's get into it. In part one of this episode, I will share a recommendation to help you coaches more efficiently get to know your players so as to have a better rapport, key ingredient for any successful team or any just fun environment in baseball and in sports and in the world. In part two, we are going to run an operating system update for your bunting paradigm, specifically for coaches here. So we're gonna run an operating update. We're gonna update your operating system software for your bunting paradigm. And in part three, I'm going to share with you great listeners. I'm gonna give you great listeners a sneak peek. I'm gonna share with you part of the 80-20 baseball drill mastery guide how to design the perfect drill now before we get to part one quickly i got a question that i want to answer for you guys and i think it's important as we work together to be better coaches and better players in a better baseball world i think it's important that you guys understand this question that i sometimes get asked other coaches that i've worked with over the years they say hey coach bo why have you stepped away from the field and why are you doing something different and the reason i did this it's multifactorial number one i have a young child that will be grown up in a blink and I'm not gonna miss that. Number two, my family and I recently moved from SoCal, from Southern California to the hills of Boise, Idaho, a place we are absolutely loving, but it did take me away from the baseball community that I grew up in and played in and coached in in Southern California. So that change of scenery led me to look at other options in terms of how to better serve the baseball community and help out. And number three, after so many years of living on the baseball field, it did hit me as I went through this transition of moving and stepping away and having a child, it hit me that there may be a better way at this moment in time for me to help the baseball community, specifically coaches and more specifically youth baseball coaches. Now what I'm talking about specifically to that is that it hit me that it's all but impossible to learn and build the best coaching practices when entrenched out on the field year in and year out, which I was for almost 34 years of playing and coaching. Speaking for the whole baseball community, effectively running a program, a pitching staff, a team, a lineup, and an organization for that matter, entire organization barely gives coaches and people within those organizations and programs a chance to take a breath, to take a breather, much less study the heck out of all the goings on across the vast baseball community. It's impossible to have a 35,000 foot view when you're in the trenches, when you're out there on the field running a practice, coaching games, dealing with the other 27 things, the other 47 things, the other 100 different things that are going on that go along with being a good coach. And all of you that have coached at all know exactly what I'm talking about. In fact, most coaches go their entire careers never removing themselves from the trenches, especially for a long period of time, much less a few years, in which they could, if they did so, more easily study the entire coaching landscape, the entire player development arena within the baseball community to give them a clearer picture of the optimal strategy. So like, I think the best way to go about it for any coach would be get in the trenches for a long period of time and then take a few years to step back 
maybe a whole year to step back. Get out of it. Stay involved in it from the outside looking in. Study up. Look around because now you have the trenches. You have been out on the field to see exactly what works and buying the theory and all that, but you really understand what truly works. But then you also get to get that 35,000 foot view. So what I'm doing is coupling that 35,000 foot view of the baseball community, the, the player development community with the realities of how things truly go down in the trenches. And when I say trenches, I'm talking about out there on the field with the player in the drill, in the bullpen, in the batting cages, in the trenches. It's not only the perfect combination doing it this way, it's the ideal combination. As I saw a void, a need within the baseball community, especially the youth baseball community that I believe I'm in a great position. Everything come to this point in time, everything unfold the way it has over the 40 years I've spent on this planet to provide you great coaches players the top strategies in a straightforward efficient way all right got that aside just want to kind of set the paradigm of where i'm coming from and why 80 20 baseball is here now we're going to get to part one of this episode here a recommendation to help coaches more efficiently get to know your players so as to have a better rapport players do not care how much you know they don't care what you know coaches until they know you care Many of you have heard that phrase. When you go out there every single practice, every single training session, before every single game, maybe you should just say that to yourself three times. It may be a great way to calibrate yourself before you go out there to best serve your players and to give yourself the best chance of winning, not only on the scoreboard, but within the player community, the team environment, the team culture environment. So here's the recommendation. Coaches, have your players fill out a preseason, pre-year background questionnaire. This can be done electronically. This can be done on paper, whatever you want to do or ever you want to do it. Now, if you're listening to this and it's not the preseason and it's not before the year starts, you haven't, maybe you're already into the season. Maybe the year has already started. That's okay. Do it right now. So long as it's not the very end of the season or the last month of the season, go and do it. Have your players fill out a preseason, pre-year or mid-year, if you're listening to this mid-year, background questionnaire. A couple things you can ask them. Have them discuss. I like open-ended questions. Open-ended questions, as anybody who's been a parent and anybody who's been a teacher and anybody who's been a coach understands open-ended questions will bring about, they'll facilitate, they'll dig out better, deeper, more authentic answers rather than yes, no, multiple choice, things like that. Ask the players what their favorite non-sport hobby is. What's their favorite non-sport hobby? You can ask them an open-ended question such as what's their best non-sport talent or skill? What is something they're skilled at that's not baseball related. Another thing you can ask them on this questionnaire, this survey, and it really is a survey. It's a questionnaire. It's It should be rather informal, but it should be something that they can take home or something that you give them time to do. If you're a high school coach or a college coach, this is something that you can do in the classroom. I recommend maybe giving it to them and having them take it home, or you can share it electronically and have them do it on their own time and then send it back to you or bring it back to you. You can ask them, what's one thing that they wish more people would know about them? What's one thing that they wish people would know about them that they feel people don't know about them or maybe 
some way they've been misunderstood in the past. These are some ideas. These are just three suggestions. I think getting super personal is not a good idea, but I do think that you want to personalize it. You want to give them the feeling from doing this that they are being heard or that you have a better understanding of who they are, not just as a shortstop or a first baseman or a center fielder or a catcher or a leadoff hitter, not just their skills on the baseball field, but also more about who they are as a person, as an individual. And I'll tell you what, doing this, it, this is an efficient way to get to know them. It allows them to write it out, not necessarily say it in front of their peers so they may share more. And you're gonna get to see, and I've done this, I've done this over the years with hundreds of students. I've done it informally as a kind of a conversational piece with players, but I recommend using it as a written in a written form or at least an electronically typed form to get to know your players better in a more efficient way. And I recommend you do this before the season starts because then you can go into the season with an understanding of, hey, each of these players is a different individual and it allow you to relate the things you're teaching to them, the things you're coaching them back to their life. Because if they say, for example, they like to surf, I had a player that told me he liked to surf and I would try to relate things back to, and, and maybe you don't even relate things, the baseball stuff, back to his interest in surfing or their interest in whatever else it is. Maybe you just use it as a way to connect with them so they know that you actually care about them and you're, they're not just a pawn in your game of baseball and you're they're not just a pawn uh, that you're using to get to more wins, that you actually care about them as a person and you care about their life. Now for part two. Oh, before we get to part two, if you have any questions on that or any follow-up questions, we could go on and on about different ways and questions and things to ask and to bring about this information to understand our players better. Any questions on this or you have any suggestions that things that have worked well for you or if you have any further questions, email me coachbo at 8020baseball.com. That's coachbo, the numbers 8020baseball.com. Email me, I'll get back to you quickly on that. Now, part two, an operating system update for your bunting paradigm. So you're operating, you know, you do these updates on your operating system, whether you got a Mac or Microsoft Windows or HP or a Dell, you do these operating system updates, right? They keep your system updated. We're going to do one here for your bunting paradigm. This is an improved bunting paradigm for coaches. Here we go. Coaches do not have the default setting that says I'm going to bunt whenever there is no outs or I'm not going to bunt at all, right? Don't have the default setting that setting that you're just not going to bunt at all. I don't agree with that, although I would bunt very rarely and you're going to see what I'm talking about here. Do not have the default setting that you're going to bunt whenever you're going to have your players bunt, your hitters bunt, whenever there is no outs and a guy in first or second or runners on first and second. The default setting, I believe the ultimate or the ideal default setting that coaches should have is to hit away, to hit, have your hitters hit unless a few factors push the percentages of scoring more runs, the percentage that you're increasing the chances that you're going to score more runs as an offense, as a team in favor of bunting. So your default setting is to hit unless a few other factors come into play that push, that add up to push the percentages in favor of your team. 
team bunting, i.e. late in a low scoring game. There's a dominant pitcher on the mound or a really good bunter at the plate, especially a drag guy, a guy that can drag bunt very well and effectively. Or you might have a less productive hitter at the plate, especially a double play guy, a guy who hits into a lot of double plays. Also, you may have your best hitters coming up next. That would add, that would increase the percentages, not necessarily it's going to push it one way or the other over the line, but it's going to add. Remember, you're playing the percentages. In fact, one of the best books that I've read in baseball is called The Book, Playing the Percentages in Baseball. I'm reading it right off the title on my desk right now. It's by Tom Tango, Mitchell Lickman, and Andrew Dolphin. It talks about playing the percentages in baseball, so it's not this black and white answer necessarily, but when you look at the factors that are going on in a game situation and all the factors added up, so how do things add up? Does that push the percentages in your favor by doing one thing or by doing another or another in terms of what's the best way of going about? Whether In this case, we're talking about bunting. Is it better for your team to bunt or your batter at this particular time to bunt or not? So we're going to go over those again here. But before we go through those quickly again, just to make sure that you get these, because these are the key factors that you need to assess when deciding if you're going to have your hitter bunt or not bunt. Remember, the lower the levels, the more bunting works because simply the defense's abilities are a little poorer. They're not as good. The catch and throw aspect of baseball at the lower levels is nowhere near the major league level, professional level, the college level, the high school level. Every level you go up, bunting works less. Do you hear that? Now, a great placed drag bunt, especially if a defense is shifted or the third baseman is not paying attention or or deep, that's going to work at every level. But the lower the levels, the more bunting works. As you go up and as the defenses get better, bunting works less and less. All right. I do not believe the default setting should be bunt whenever there are no outs or whenever there is no outs and a guy on first or a guy on second or a runner on first, runner on first and second. The default paradigm for coaches should be, in my opinion, should be to hit first and foremost, unless a few factors such as the one, the factors we went over earlier and I'll review here, unless these factors push the percentages in your team's favor, saying that bunting or showing that bunting or adding up to the fact that bunting would be a better option, i.e. it's late in a low scoring game. Now, remember, one of these factors isolated doesn't necessarily push the percentages in your team's favor and that bunting is a better option. But if you add these up and it leads you to believe, or if you can quantify it, which is almost impossible, especially for youth coaches, but if you add these up and these factors come together, then bunting may be your best option. So here again are these factors. Late, it's late in a low scoring game. You have a dominant pitcher pitching for the other team. You got a really good bunter at the plate, especially a guy who can put down a quality drag bunt. You have a less productive hitter at the plate. Somebody who is prone to double plays, hitting into double plays, or you have your best or and or you have your best hitters coming up next. All right. So it's late in a low scoring game. You got a dominant pitcher on the other team going right now and he's hot and he's pitching well. You got a really good bunter at the plate, especially a guy that can put down the drag bunt. You got a less productive hitter at the plate, somebody who's really not hitting well and is prone to hitting into double plays and or you have your best hitters coming up next. Again, also the lower the levels, more likely bunting is going to work and is going to help produce more runs for your offense. And that's what it really comes down to. It's not about how you were coached. It's not about what you think is the best. It's really about what produces
produces the most runs for your offense. In my opinion, hitting more often than not is going to produce more runs. Letting your hitters hit away is going to produce more runs over the course of the season than bunting in specific bunting, quote unquote, bunting situations that we have come to know. Okay, I hope this really helps clarify and update your operating system. So I hit about three things there. One, my philosophy, hitting should come first before just defaulting to bunting. Two, bunting at the lower the level, 6U, 7U, 8U, 9U is going to be much more effective than bunting in high school is going to more often than not be more effective than bunting in college. And bunting in college will more often than not, again, this is a general statement. I'm not a big fan of blanket statements, but this is a general statement that holds true that the lower the levels, the better or the more effective bunting will be. And the third part we touched on there is or are the factors that come into play that you have to look at as a coach. And if you start to look at these as a coach, or if you've been coaching a long time, these are going to be easier for you to diagnose. And I recommend writing out the factors that I discussed here. So when the situation arises, or as the situations come about, you'll be able to see as a coach one way or the other that the percentages are saying, or the things are adding up, the factors are adding up to it being better to bunt, or in most cases, in my opinion, it's better and it's going to be more productive that your team hits, that your batter in the box right now hits away, or he gets walked. Again, hitting and walking all go together, or at least they should go together. All right, part three of this episode, designing and building better drills. Your practices, your trainings are only as good as the drills that you create, the drills that you put together. Now, I know some people don't like the word drills. That doesn't bother me. That is what it is to me. I think that the term drill is really just the environment that you create, the physical environment that you create, that a coach, a coaching staff creates to get players better. Now, a great thought to have, a great quote to go by, have few drills, have few drills and make them super legit. Have few drills and make them super legit. Now we are continuing with this part three. We're continuing the important discussion about how exactly to build top shelf drills, a discussion that we started in episode 26. So back in episode 26, we started this discussion. We're going to continue this discussion. I'm a big fan of high quality drills, high quality routines, high quality procedures that get players and teams better. Now I'm going to read part one of the 80-20 baseball drill mastery guide that will soon be available on the revamped 8020baseball.com website. Here it is, part one from the 80-20 baseball drill mastery guide. Section one, relevancy. The key question here, the key question that you need to ask, does the training drill improve essential skills? Does the training drill improve players essential skills here we go spend the majority of practice time using the drills that will have the most significant influence on the outcome of real games in the early 1900s an italian economist by the name of vilfredo Pareto became obsessed with the ratio of 80 20 the law of the vital few and the law of the 
trivial many. Pareto noted that 80% of his peas were produced by 20% of his pea plants. And this kind of, you know, kind of sparked some interest in his mind. 80% of the production was coming from 20% of the producers. And then he kept on and he discovered that approximate ratio, that approximate ratio, 80-20, held true for many other things. Keep in mind that the 80-20 rule, the 80-20 principle is not meant to be a precise ratio for all things or a precise explanation of all things. It will vary, but the general approximation holds true across the board. When deciding on what skills to practice, first ask yourself, is this a skill that is used frequently? Is this a situation that occurs frequently? Is this something that happens often in a game? Is this an event that happens often? Does it happen intermittently or does it rarely happen at all? It is vital that you know this, that we see this as coaches because this in and of itself dictates how often, not only how often, but more importantly, what we are going to coach, what we are going to train, what we are going to practice when we're out there on the field during those precious practice hours that we have. In today's business world, the 80-20 ratio is believed to show up in many areas. It's not uncommon for business owners to find that 20% of their customer base is responsible for 80% of the company's revenue. Knowing which customers bring the largest amount of revenue allows businesses to allocate their resources more prosperously. Moreover, identifying the 20% of the actions that generate 80% of the business's desired results enables a company to put together a more efficient and effective game plan. Tim Ferriss, a well-known entrepreneur, best-selling author, and fitness productivity expert explains it this way. 20% of your actions, 20% of your inputs will create 80% of your results. Tim has interviewed world-class strength coaches that have designed their successful training routines using the 80-20 principle. One particular coach eliminated all but four exercises from his workout routine and subsequently had a large spike in results. Now, while I wouldn't recommend advanced athletes reduce their strength training routine down to four exercises, I highly agree that less is more. Steve Jobs said in regards to Apple's success, deciding what not to do is as important as deciding what to do. The well-known In-N-Out Burger makes excellent burgers and excellent fries because the only thing they sell outside of shakes and sodas is burgers and fries. The restaurant doesn't allocate its resources towards making better corn dogs or better tacos. They focus on creating quality burgers and that's what they make and that's what they produce. We could go on and on for a thousand episodes of examples showing how the Pareto principle shows up in our everyday lives. It's everywhere. And again, the 80-20, the numbers 80-20, the 80-20 principle, the 80-20 rule is not, it's never presented as this exact ratio. The numbers are not going to be exact. They're going to vary. It may be 90-10. It may be 70-30. It may be 99-1. The idea is, and the understanding that we need to have and how why this is so important for us to understand is that not all actions are equal. Not all actions, not all drills, not all training methods, not all strategies, not all techniques, not all exercises are equal in terms of the results they're going to bring us. And therefore, before we prioritize, we must understand the effect, the results that
that are going to come from our actions. So when we're coaching, if you're spending 35 minutes every practice or 35 minutes or 45 minutes practicing first and third defense or first and third offense, and then you turn around and you spend 30 or 45 minutes hitting right there, you have gone against the 80-20 rule. Hitting and having an offense, having a lineup that hits better is going to produce way more runs than you would prevent or produce when it comes to first and third situations. Yes, first and third situations have an impact. Not every game, but they do have an impact, especially at the lower levels and the youth levels. But at the end of the day, you're going to have a lot more bat. Let me give it, let me put it like this. You got nine batters, maybe 10 batters in your lineup, and they're going to go three, four times through. You're typically going to have 20, 30, 40 at bats in a game. How many first and third opportunities are you going to have in a game? You're going to have 35 first and third opportunities, but every time the hitter gets up there, he has an opportunity and remember first and third may just give you an opportunity worst case you just give up one base let's just say you just do an arm fake if you're doing the defensive side of it you do a catcher's arm fake and you keep the runner at third and you just give up second base so every time the first and third situation comes up you're giving up one base but as a hitter every time you're up there hitting you have the opportunity to get four bases you have the opportunity to get three or two bases you can get a double you can definitely get that one base a walk or a base hit you can even like i said you can get a triple or a home run so you have 35 chances to get four bases or three bases or two bases or even one base first and third opportunities worst case from a defensive standpoint it's going to give up one base and from an offensive standpoint it can net you one base at the most probably two bases and that's if the only if the other team's defense is really terrible the point being it's not that first and third offense first and third defense is not important to practice it's that we prioritize and use the 80 20 rule and i think it almost would be better if they changed it to like the 90 10 rule i think 90 10 would probably sum it up and be a little more accurate across the board but the idea is that not everything we do out in practice is going to influence the game the scoreboard as much and the same thing holds true for the team culture that you're building so the same thing goes true across the board now our players should focus their energy on mastering the skills and actions used most often during game situations our players let me repeat that our players should focus their energy on mastering the skills and actions used used most often during the game situations. The specific abilities used frequently will have the largest impact on the outcome of the game and on the player's career. The biggest mistakes a coach will make when planning a practice is to allocate practice time equally to all skills and drills, or they don't look at each drill and say, okay, how is this going to affect the game? Is this a big needle mover, a medium needle mover, or a small needle mover? You don't want your team to be the jack of all skills and the masters of none. You want them to be the masters of the skills like hitting, pitching, throwing strikes, and quality at bats. You want them to be really good behind the plate, fielding ground balls and making a throw, and catching fly balls in the outfield and getting the ball in quick. And then lastly, the other last big needle mover comes into base running. And specifically, an aggressive mindset, a non-complacent mindset as a base runner. And I think another thing is to train quickness, train acceleration, not necessarily stamina, but quick acceleration making quick reads and we'll get into that and we've talked about that specifically in other episodes 
time is our greatest resource and the best coaches dedicate their practice time on the things that will get them the most significant results. Spending time on drills that replicate rare situations is not an efficient nor effective way to develop better players and win more ball games. Practicing the uncommon play will produce a very little return on the time and the energy investment. Get really good at the skills that are used most often and you'll win more often. It's better to be great at the few vital skills than average at the many trivial skills. Now, before planning a practice or training session, one should always start by asking these three specific questions. So you wanna ask yourself these three specific questions. This goes for coaches and players alike. Before planning a practice or a training session, ask yourself these three questions. Number one, what skills must be trained to maximize the production of runs? The wording of this is more pertinent and more specific to coaches, but players, you can translate it how you want to say what skills must be trained to maximize my ability to hit and run the bases those two major things question number two what skills must be trained to minimize the opponent's production of runs and number three what drills will maximize the improvement of the two outcomes above or the two previously stated outcomes in question one and two so what skills must be trained to maximize the production of runs what skills must be trained to minimize the the opponent's production of runs and what drills, what training environment, inter-squad game, what kind of scrimmage can you create and build that will maximize the improvement of the outcomes stated above or those two outcomes. Maximizing production of runs for your team, minimizing the production of runs for the opponent. All right, that is part one of the eight-part drill mastery guide. That'll soon be available to you on 8020baseball.com as the website's going through an update right now. That guide took three full weeks. Now, I'm going to set aside the three plus decades of experience that I drew from to put it together. It also just sitting down and working on it took three full weeks, eight hours a day. So I don't know how many hours of 15 times eight. What's that? Uh, 120 hours. So I spent 120 hours to build, edit, produce that drill mastery guide. With that said, so I hope you enjoyed part one. It's an eight part. It's got a preface. It's got a conclusion part to it. And that'll be available soon on the 8020baseball.com website with the idea, with the goal of giving you a guide, a step-by-step guide to building perfect drills or top-notch drills anytime, anywhere for anything. And this could be, you could use this in your business, but you could use it, definitely use this in any sport. And specifically, we're going to hone in on baseball and how to make a great practice environment. Remember, the practice environment is about the team culture and the vibe coupled with top-notch drills and top-notch scrimmages. So you got a great team culture, you got great drills because the drills, the routines, the procedures that you do in your practice is what dictates the quality of your practice environment. All right, you guys, episode 39 in the books here. Tell you what, we're going to keep building on this, how to build a top-notch drill. We're going to continue building on this because if you understand how to build a great drill, then you're well on your way to having a successful team in terms of scoring runs and preventing runs come game time. Also, I'm looking forward to having Coach Cole 
Coulter Bostic back on. Coulter's having a lot of success down there in Texas, working with players. I just saw him post a list of the players he's working with and their commitments. Some great colleges, quite a few colleges. And when Coulter gets back on, either in the next episode or the one after that, we're going to have him talk about building rapport with our athletes, what he does and why he's had success. And I see the feedback that these players are giving him. I see the, the comments and they're thanking him. He's building a wonderful rapport with his athletes. And I want him to share that with us, especially young coaches and old coaches, how to build a better rapport with our athletes. Because without the rapport, you got nothing. Without the rapport, you have nothing for the most part. There are going to be players that you get that don't really care if you treat them a certain way or this. I mean, as long as you're not disrespectful, but they're not going to care if you relate to them a hundred ways from Sunday. They're just going to listen to what you say. They've been brought up a little different, but for the most part, building a rapport with most of our athletes is really a required step to building up a better athlete and getting a, a player to pitch better, hit better, play catcher better, play defense better, run the bases better, yada, yada, yada. We're also going to talk about with Coulter building an athletic pitcher. He's doing a great job of building athletic pitchers, building quality movements amongst his pitchers. So we're going to talk about that. And lastly, I'd like to have him talk about, among some other things, building a solid pitching staff in youth baseball. So I've shared with you a lot over these episodes, a lot, hours and hours and hours of, of strategies I truly believe are top notch. Not just because I'm giving them to you, but where I got them from, how they came about, how they were built. I really feel good about them. But I also like to bring on outside sources to continue sharing with you some of these great ideas and almost more of a, like Coulter and I see eye to eye on almost everything. And I think it's good from time to time as we move forward with this podcast to have some coaches outside of myself come on and share it in a different perspective with the kind of the guidance that I'll give them kind of making sure that we stay on point in terms of the whole idea behind this podcast. So we'll have Coulter on and this podcast is not designed to be an interview conversational podcast. There's a lot of podcasts out there that are conversational. First off, I wouldn't want to listen to baseball conversations necessarily. I would love to hear like major league players talk, but if I want to listen to conversational stuff, I want to listen to a comedian. I want to listen to just funny stuff. When I want to learn, I don't really want it to be a conversation in so much as I want to gather as much information as I can quickly and then deduce and kind of go from there with it and how I apply it from there. Now, what I've tried to do is design this podcast where I'm gathering all the information from so many sources and then I'm trying to give it to you through one voice in a quick way. So I'm not sitting here. I mean, I don't sit here and talk about myself very much. I could sit here and share my whole story. I got a really interesting, I think, baseball story. I put little pieces in here and there, but I don't sit here and just get into my story because my story isn't necessarily going to help you at all. What's going to help you is giving you the best strategies, giving you the best techniques, giving you the best paradigm to look at coaching and playing the game of baseball through. So with that said, love having you guys on here. I love seeing the numbers of coaches that are listening to this go up each and every episode. Leave a review on iTunes, please, or on whatever your list, Stitcher or Spotify, whatever podcast platform you use. If you wouldn't mind, take a second. It doesn't have to be a long review, but leave a review. That would be great because I do really believe in having a better baseball coaching community. I just see how across the board, it's not where it should be the health of it in terms of the quality of coaching. And I understand because most of the coaches, 95% of the baseball community is just parents, moms, dads that are out there coaching youth baseball. It's not professional coaches. It's not college coaches. Those guys get a lot of the limelight. High school coaches that are elite, they get a lot of the limelight, but 95%, this goes back to the 80-20 rule, but it's more like the 95-5 rule. 95% or more maybe of all coaches are youth coaches. And I believe that the youth baseball coaching community needs a lot of help because just like we all do, like the other day, our air conditioner was having an issue. Well, I'm not 
not an expert on air conditioning, so I call an air conditioning guy, comes over and diagnoses the problem and fixes it within 15 minutes. And that's specifically what I'm trying to do here with the youth baseball coaching community. All right, this has been Coach Bo. Take care of yourselves. Take care of your families. Stay strong. Take action. Take this information out to the field, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Bye for now. This has been the 8020 Baseball Podcast. Take it to the field.